Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Magnolia High's resident podcast, WYYH. On our podcast, each episode, we solemnly swear to be with, with you in your health. And of course, this is presented to you by your very own HOSA Club. Every month, we'll be back to annoy, yet inform all of our listeners with a health concern to discuss. In doing so, we hope to raise awareness of said concern so that our community can take an active role in protecting themselves and their loved ones when in times of necessity. Here on the WYOH podcast, we usually have a team of four amazing individuals, but unfortunately today we only have two. Um, Our co-hosts Tiffany and Alice, they decided to take a break this month because things have been hectic for them. It's all good. I wish them a speedy recovery and I hope that they can come back and join us in the future with more energy and a lot more love to give. So it's me here, Aisha. Um, my tagline, as y'all probably know if you've heard this podcast before, I'm a girl mostly in my pajamas, but I aspire to make a difference in the world like that. Um, Bianca here, your little lightning speed and social butterfly. The others were unable to join us today, but they're still here in our hearts, of course. So before we get into this month's issue, we would all like to thank the people who helped us to help this podcast come together, congratulated us, and supported us for our inauguration in October. The love and support we got was truly overwhelming. And like Bianca said, um, you know, we're really grateful for everything. And we apologize for not coming out with an episode in November. Um, Like I said, like things got really hectic for us, um, especially as seniors, me and Tiffany, we were like so busy with our college apps and everything. It was it was, it was like a whirlwind, but, you know, there are technical difficulties too, but it's all good, and we don't want to give excuses, so once again, we truly apologize for the inconsistency on our parts. On that warm and loving note, this month, the month of Christmas, we decided to come back with an issue that all of us thought would be the most befitting way of ending the tsunami of a year. Christmas, it symbolizes love forgiveness, and a fresh new start into yet another year of our lives. And what could possibly be more important than stepping into the new year with a healthy and fulfilled mind and body? Therefore, our focus in this episode will be mental health, a part of ourselves that, even after being crucial to our well-being, is often overlooked. And together, we will explore what it means to be truly physically and mentally healthy, how to tackle the stigma on mental health, and most importantly, how to be kind, loving, and caring towards ourselves, especially during trying times like this, which tests us every minute of every day. Now, what exactly includes mental health? Although every individual has a different interpretation of this term, to sum it all up, mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also determines how we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. Thus, ensuring that we're taking care of our mental health is important at every stage of life, from childhood and adolescence through adulthood. Over the course of our lives, it is not very unlikely for us, as you know, we're inherently emotional and social beings, to experience mental health problems. But what should not be taken lightly are the effects deteriorating mental health can have on our thinking, mood, and behavior. Many factors contribute to mental health problems, and these include biological factors such as genes or brain chemistry, life experiences such as trauma or abuse, and family history of mental health problems, but these are just a few to begin with. 
to garner a more nuanced understanding behind the semantics of mental health and the people who work tirelessly to keep our mental health in check, we interviewed two very, very special guests today. Let us begin by sharing this space with Magnolia's own school psychologist, Ms. Denise Lazaro. Hello, Ms. Lazaro. Uh, welcome to the WYYH podcast. It's truly a pleasure for us to have you here. Um, so before we begin, we would love for you to take the space and introduce yourself and what you do for our students here at Magnolia High School. Of course. So my name is Denise Lazaro. I'm a school psychologist for AUHSD. I have been working as a school psychologist for the last eight years. And so what my primary role is, is just helping students advocate for themselves, having a safe place for students to go to who are experiencing some difficulties with their social emotional. I also work with a bulk of students who do have special education services as well. But I collaborate a lot with the social worker, administrators, school counselors, there's a whole team in providing support for the students. Um, so what made you pursue mental health as a profession and what's your favorite part about it? Okay, so this has probably been something since I was in high school. I love psychology. I love the study of people's behaviors. And so I have a brother and sister who actually have special needs, significant special needs. So, you know, when you talk about psychology and you talk about mental health, there's such a broad spectrum, right? And so ultimately, I wanted to help individuals kind of find their, find guidance, know that it is okay to talk about problems and problem solve together. They don't need to be afraid. I've always been such a vocal person. And so with my brother and sister, they don't necessarily have a voice. And so when I picked to work with students in the secondary system, secondary level, I just wanted to make sure that they weren't afraid, that they knew that there were adults just like them once upon a time, right, who had similar problems and kind of guide them through that. And the best part about my job, honestly, is working with youth. I love being a person that someone can go to, find safety in, problem solve, reach their goals, and let them know that anything is possible. Really help students find their potential in anything. That is honestly such a great, great outlook that you have um, on your job and on your life. Um, it's honestly, I feel like um, America, American students especially are very fortunate in the way that um, at least there are adults in school that, that are willing to help them because I come from I come from a different country and um, my schooling never had, um, like in my academic career, I never saw, you know, adults helping, like school, adults from school helping us. And I feel like coming to America, it, it's really made a difference. It's really made a difference because I can confide in people and I know that I can find resources and, you know, uh, people that are willing to help me. Um, so yeah, let's move on to the next question. Undoubtedly, despite all the relentless efforts from mental health professionals all over the world, um, mental health still remains a topic surrounded by social stigma and ignorance. What are your takes on this? How would you say we can tackle the stigma and establish mental health as equally important to its physical counterparts? 
You know, this is such a great question because, you know, growing up for me, I never knew about mental health. I really didn't. I knew that there was the study of psychology, but as far as mental health and really what it was, breaking it apart and knowing that it's the emotional and physical well-being of someone, I never knew how to really handle that when I was younger, right? So it's so cool to see the progression of how mental health has really been um, spotlighted nowadays. And I think the stigma is still depending on where you're culturally from, what kind of background your parents are from, because there's still some cultures, right, where mental health is not looked as a real thing. So I think it really is just everyone talking about it and slowly just sharing what their stories are because everyone has a story, right? Not everyone starts out having mental health issues, but I think it's people being open-minded and really talking about what's going on in their life. And I think it starts there. It starts about talking about whatever someone's going with, right? Because we want to have early prevention. And I think there was a big explosion with mental health because we all of a sudden started identifying it more and more. And then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, everyone has quote unquote mental health issues or problems that they're going through experiences. And I think your generation now, I, I just think it's a beautiful thing because there is more platforms to discuss it. I think people are becoming braver and it's a chain reaction. So if one person talks about it and they feel comfortable, then another person can talk about it. And I think that's how we slowly get rid of the stigma. There's always gonna be the non-believers saying, you don't, if nothing's wrong, it's okay, just move on with it. But I think if we have more mental health professionals, more people talking about it, that it can really destigmatize and we can desensitize people to it, right? And saying, hey, it's no big deal. Nothing is typical anymore, I wanna say. And everyone is going through something, especially the last 10 years, right? There have been more and more crises going around in the world. I think that the world is changing. And so we have to adapt with it. So I think that's how we slowly do it. And I think your, your generation, and not that I'm far from it, but I just think that the platform is much bigger and wider. And the more we talk about it, the more we can slowly just have that bigger conversation. Yeah, I agree. But I feel like right now there's like so many um, people stepping up and then there's so many people that disagree and just um, say negative things. And so it's just, I feel like some people are like crashing and stuff because of all the changes. Some people disagree and some people agree. So some are like um, together with it and then others are not in like some movements and stuff and some opinions that people have. But um, another question is, so we understand that mental health is an extremely sensitive topic. How do you keep yourself grounded when you're talking to a patient? For example, you hear about a struggle that you might personally resonate with or something that acts as a trigger to you. How do you um, handle it? You know, that's a really great question. And for me personally, as a professional, I have to go into every session 
with a student, I have to clear my mind beforehand. I really have to mentally prep myself. And sometimes it is difficult, right? Because I think one of the hardest things is not becoming emotionally attached. I'm a very empathetic person and I heavily feel if someone's telling me something that they're going through. I like to be an active listener and so right beforehand, I have to, you know, do my own little routine to kind of prep me for it. And then I leave all my emotions at the door at the best I can and go into it being, being kind of like a clean slate. Like I'm the, I'm the sounding board. So I have to make sure that I'm mentally prepared and ready to go. So that's what I do to keep grounded. And what I've learned is debriefing afterwards is very, very important. So whether that's with colleagues at Magnolia High School or other school sites in the district or friends or family, I always have to make sure that, I'm not talking about the student or their issues, but making sure that I can also express myself if I'm stressed for the day, right? Because it is a very emotional task to listen to someone talk about their problems and not intertwine it with mine, right? So I think it's very important prior and after to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. I absolutely agree. Um, I was at a conference with some other mental health professionals um, through this club I do, and they were talking about the same thing, that debriefing really helped them and uh, breathing exercises really help them. Yes. Yeah, it, so. it really does. Um, and that's one of the things like we talk about in counseling so much is really learning that mindfulness, right? And, and doing it together. So I think that's also very helpful because if I'm teaching someone the steps and how to do it, then it allows me to practice it at the same time. So yes, I completely agree. Yeah, uh, this is the same thing I heard. I'm glad that you're able to like, you know, debrief and take your mind off of things before going into these really heavy sessions. Um, so uh, this is a more personal question. Um, what do you consider to be your top three strengths and weaknesses as a mental health professional? Oh, let's see. This is always one of the hardest questions. Whenever I hear it in an interview, I'm like, oh, no, I have to talk about my own personal <laughs> strengths and weaknesses. So I would say as far as strengths, being very empathetic, being an active listener, you know, asking clarifying questions, making sure that how the students or anyone else that I'm working with express themselves that I'm understanding what they're trying to convey. And then I would say open-minded. You know, I'm a very, I try to go into everything that I do very non-judgmental, and that's taken a lot of years of practice, but I would like to say that whenever I hear something, I don't like to quickly judge. I like to hear both sides first, do a little bit of background checks of like, okay, what it really, how do I build my own opinion? So I think those are my three strengths. And then weaknesses. I think at the very beginning of my career, it was compartmentalizing everything and not taking home how other people felt or say if someone was angry, um, not to adapt that emotion, right? Like I just had to make sure, I had to learn the debriefing part afterwards, right? Like talking to colleagues, maybe going out for 
a walk, a run afterwards to kind of let go of those emotions. So I would say I'm still working on that. Oh, let's see, weaknesses. I think, oh my goodness, this is a, such a hard question, weaknesses. I think taking on too much and not saying no, I've really had to find my voice, right? And learn to say no just for my own sanity, for my peace of mind. So I'm still working that out because obviously I, this is a public service job that I do and I wanna be able to help everyone. But in order to do my job well, I've, I've had to learn to say no. And then let's see one more. Um, I'd have to get back to you on that. I'm not sure, but you know, obviously those other two are just so big for me, learning to say no and compartmentalizing my job. No problem. It's okay. Um, take your time. And if you, it's, it's fine if you can't think of anything else. <laughs> okay. If you do, just give us a heads up. Okay, I will. Most definitely. Um, sorry, I literally, I like had a brain fart. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's okay. What, I get are <laughs> what are your thoughts on virtual therapy? How do you think we can improve on current care provided for our district? Okay, so virtual therapy... I will say that, you know, with this pandemic, at first it was very chaotic, right? But one of the things I would like to say about myself is that I'm very flexible. So when we found out like, hey, we're going to distance learning, uh, the first thought in my mind is, well, how are we going to provide therapy? And when they said virtual therapy, I'm like, well, that's kind of a beautiful thing because I feel like maybe students have more accessibility right because some students either don't get call slips or they kind of avoid me but now it's so accessible through their phone on their laptops and we really they can text me and then it's like we can set up a session right then and there so i do find it just very convenient i really do so i do like that and you know being at the comprehensive site there were so many things that would intervene in my daily, in my daily responsibilities that sometimes counseling sessions would be cut short. I had to deal with the crises. This is the first time in a very long time where I've been able to provide direct therapy and be consistent. So I really do like it. Unfortunately, I wish I was back at, you know, on the campus, but I think it's, I, I it's kind of like the, kind of balances itself out for my profession right now. And as far as the district and really how can we improve, I think it's really everyone voicing that mental health is very real and that there is a significant need for it. You know, the school psychologists in the district have been fighting the fight for a very long time for more support. We have gotten, you know, LCSWs, which are licensed clinician social workers, and they've helped us take on the load, but our responsibilities are so very different, right? Because there's a portion of our job in our career that social workers can't do, but we can all do the therapy, right? And we can provide crisis interventions, group counseling, individual counseling, we can do all that. But there's one part of our job, which is the assessment piece and identifying needs and providing services 
that we still need to advocate for. So, you know, when we meet with parents, they are also supporting our cause. But, it, you know, it'd be a beautiful thing if students, because you guys have the loudest voice, right? There are, I think, 30,000 students in AUHSD that we service. And so if we can get that voice heard, I think the district would be willing to listen more. So I think that it's just so important to, you know, publicize that notion. Yeah, I think a lot of the um, neglect, I would say, comes from the fact that people, students especially, don't yet know that mental health is so, so important, right? And um, it's probably because, like, you know, I would say that even though um, we're, we've become much more accepting towards mental health now, um, there's still a lot of stigma around it. Um, and people don't seem to accept the fact that they might have a problem. Uh, they, might, they might be facing issues. They, they'd probably just be like, okay, no, I'm fine. This is all just in my head. But, you know, in right. your head, it's, it's a problem. And this should be addressed, right? So right. this brings me to my final question, which is, how do you think the district could spread awareness about the importance of mental health more effectively for its students? You know, the last couple of years with, you know, students who are very interested in mental health, like it all starts with you guys, right? And so my previous school at Loera, a lot of the students did presentations and they actually did the same thing. They interviewed me and having more of a public role, like not just being in, in my office. And I know that's very hard because we get so inundated with, you know, the rest of our job that, but I've tried to be more present. You know, I try to attend all meetings. I try to show my face and walk around campus and publicize that, hey, there is a school site because I'll hear more often than not, oh man, I didn't even know we had a school site because we're like tucked behind the corner, like near the health office. So no one knows we're there. But the more I get out there and when principals, you know, acknowledge and present us, I think that's the way we can spread awareness about the importance of mental health. When the school psychs are more out there saying, hey, look, there is support out here. And when we make ourselves more present to parents, maybe in PTAs or the board meetings, I think that's how we really spread awareness. Because I'm also a part of, or the last three years, a part of LCAP. So we get to really have a voice at the district about it. So I think that's how we just spread awareness about the importance of mental health. I think you're absolutely correct. I've never been to the school site personally because that's a long story. This is my first year in high school, um, okay. like in an American high school. So like I haven't been there, so I don't know anything. Like you can ask Bianca, like we were like wandering around um, <laughs> to get our mics for the podcast, like where the the gym like are supposed to be there so like yeah but I do agree with you like a lot of the times um you know your offices get like pushed back in places and like you're not like advertised I would say as right well. yeah so I feel like yeah the district should like you know actively advertise and advocate for the fact that you know there is help we have help here um so yeah I think that's very important
now for our second guest today we have miss tin tran a mindfulness class educator from the tiger woods learning lab in anaheim california hello miss tran it's lovely to have you here with us today uh, before we get started could you please take this space and introduce yourself to our audience yes thank you so much for inviting me to be here on with you and your health my name is trin tran and I am an instructor at the TGR Learning Lab at Tiger Woods Charity, which is located in Anaheim. I've been an educator for the past 12 years, mainly teaching STEM as well as mindfulness. And my academic background is in physiology, education, and education leadership. If you don't mind, could you let us know what your personal relationship with mental health has been like? So growing up, mental health was actually something that was not talked about at home or at school. And like many young people, I experienced a roller coaster of events in my life. A lot was happening inside of me. You know, there's anxiety, there's confusion, anger, there's sadness, fear, and a lot of thought patterns that were actually unhealthy. And I didn't have the tools at that time to recognize and take care of my thoughts and emotions. So later on in my adult life, I experienced anxiety and depression. It was a difficult time, but I'm grateful for it because through that difficulty, I discovered mindfulness and meditation. And it was the start of my mental health journey and life changing for me. Could you introduce what mindfulness is to our audience? Mm -hmm. So mindfulness can be understood as maintaining a present moment awareness of what's going on inside of us, like our thoughts, our feelings, our bodily sensations, and also maintaining awareness of what's happening around us in our environment. And this awareness of what's going on within and outside of us it's with an attitude of openness and curiosity. Um, you can also think of it as a form of training your attention or your awareness, and it can be applied to any activity you do throughout the day. So, you know, you can apply it to listening and just hearing the sounds around you. Walking, feeling like the, the touch of your heel against the ground. Um, you can be mindful as you're eating, noticing the flavors and um, the emotions happening within you as you take each bite and playing, doing your homework and so forth. And it's actually pretty helpful after um, practicing it for a while. So I wanted to give you an example. Um, if you could think about an experience in your life where your emotions kind of got out of control and then maybe you said or did something immediately, and then right after which words you wish that you could take it back. So let's say, for example, like someone walks by and calls you a name or yells something really hurtful at you. So without mindfulness, you might react automatically, like without even thinking. You might yell back or get physically aggressive. Now let's take the same situation and with mindfulness, Maybe someone calls your name or yells something hurtful at you. 
And then you notice in that moment, you notice your breathing is speeding up. Your face is turning like it's warming up. And maybe you can feel your hands turning into fists and tensing. And then you know, oh, I'm angry. This is anger in my body. And maybe you can even feel like the impulse to want to say or do something hurtful to the other person. So all of this that you're aware of in that moment, this moment of mindfulness actually gives you some space so that you can give a little bit more thought or reflection about whether or not you actually want to act on that impulse that you're feeling. So it actually puts the power and the ownership of your actions back into your own hands. And we can think of it as the foundational level of choice. So over time, mindfulness um, helps to create some space and replace impulsive reactions with more thoughtful responses. And its overall purpose is to increase our self-awareness. It helps us balance our emotions, control our impulses, and overall really improve our focus in what we do. Well, I think that can be really helpful to anybody, but um, what inspired you to start taking Minecraft and mindfulness classes at TGR Learning Lab? And what have your experiences been like? So my personal journey as a student and as a teacher in our education system, it led me to the realization that there was really a great need for a safe space for teens to really explore and develop curiosity about their mind and to develop life skills that would really help them to navigate the ups and the downs of life. So the Minecraft class was designed from that intention. In this class, we explore mindfulness practices and we engage in hands-on investigations. We even did a brain dissection and I had them notice the emotions that they were ex experiencing throughout the dissection and we talked about it. And we also, of course, explore careers in neuroscience and psychology. The first class was launched in January of 2018 at the TGR Learning Lab. And um, my overall experience has been that every group has been so different, but some of the common patterns I've noticed is just the amount of depth and insights that young people have when they're given the opportunity to really explore and accept what's happening within themselves. There's this kind of collective sense of relief and connection in knowing that they're not alone in the challenges that they're experiencing in their life. I can totally attest to that because I was an intern uh, in one of Ms. Tran's classes. And um, actually, rather than being an intern, I felt like I was a student as well because like a lot of the activities I was like practicing alongside the other students and I got to interact with a lot of the younger kids. And I really did feel like, um, you know, our generation gets this label of being aloof and um, not being, you know, the most um, serious generation out there. But um, I would like to disagree with that after taking this translate class and like, you know, I just really thought that these people have a lot of insight and a lot of, um, and a lot of knowledge to give to others. We can all learn from each other. So definitely, um, yeah, I truly enjoyed being in, in your class, Ms. Tran. Thank you, Aisha. Okay, so 
jumping off of that, um, do you practice mindfulness in your personal life as well? If yes, has it brought about any significant changes in your life? And has your experience with mindfulness been a positive one? So yes, I try to practice mindfulness and being completely present in my daily activities as much as possible. So, you know, as I'm sitting right now, I can be mindful of what's going on within my body um, and also my mind. Um, as I'm eating, as I'm walking, uh, even, you know, as I'm having a conversation with the two of you, I can still notice what's happening within me and what's happening around me as well. Um, so I also try to make time at the end of each day to sit and do some formal mindfulness practice where I just observe my breathing and my body sensations. Um, I've been practicing for a while, but of course, I still consider myself very much a beginner on this path. Um, but I have to say that over time, it's really helped me a lot um, to become much kinder uh, to myself and to others, and just to have more awareness and balance in how I treat myself and treat others. Um, the amount of reactivity that I have has been reduced overall. You know, something that would happen in the past that would leave me upset maybe for hours or days. Now, maybe the same situation would leave me upset for maybe, you know, 45 minutes or an hour. So, you know, it's not, it's not a magic pill or anything, but through practice, you'll notice improvements in your life. And with more practice, it only becomes better. Yeah, I feel like in my family, there's a lot of like impulses and there's just, you just do whatever. And when anything you think, it just comes out. And I think we should practice mindfulness. And I think I will mention it to them. So we can like do it together as a family because I mean, no family is perfect, but um, there's a lot of things that I see that. Uh, mindfulness can probably help. And would you recommend people to practice mindfulness? And if yes, why or why not? Yeah, Bianca, thanks for sharing about um, how practicing with your family, you could already see the value of it. Um, but I, I do want to mention that the only way to truly understand the practice um, is through your own direct experience of it. So I can explain it, <laughs> but until, until you actually do it yourself, um, only at that point will you fully sense and experience and feel the benefits. Um, and also there's just so much value in sharing it with others because it supports your practice. Um, you support each other and it leads to just a happier household and one of more understanding and acceptance. And it's like you said, it's not perfect, but over time it gets a lot better. Um, there is substantial research that shows that regular mindfulness practice uh, improves your ability to focus, regulate your emotions and overall well-being. And it's used in a lot of different professional fields. So there's a lot of research around its benefits and 
from my own experience and from research, I would recommend people practicing. Thank you for sharing that, Ms. Ryan. Um, so circling back to mental health, um, what do you think would be some effective steps schools and other educational institutions can take to reduce the stigma around it and thus create a safer and warmer environment for students, like a safe space almost? Mm -hmm. I think it's critical for schools to offer research-based social-emotional learning as part of the core curriculum. It's just as important as any other discipline that's being taught. Um, and mindfulness has a piece in that because social-emotional learning has to do with one of the pieces is self-awareness and also self-regulation. So mindfulness adds to that because it's kind of that missing piece. It helps students learn how to regulate themselves internally. So social emotional learning programs often teach a set of skills, but in the heat of the actual moment, we need to be able to pause and regulate ourselves in order to then respond and use those social emotional skills. So mindfulness can play a part in that social emotional learning curriculum. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I feel like a lot of the stigma that kind of, you know, like that is there behind mental health is because like we don't, we don't accept it as a part of ourselves, like a core, a core part that we should um, talk about and we should try and destigmatize, you know what I mean? Like, we talk about our physical health and we care about it so much. And that in the heat of that, we kind of forget that, you know, our brain and our thoughts are equally as important and our mental health is as equally as important as our physical health. So yeah, we definitely do agree that schools should, um, you know, make it a priority to um, establish the social and emotional learning that you mentioned. Um, with that being said, um, thank you so much, Ms. Tran, for being on our podcast. Um, we truly appreciate your knowledge and your wisdom that you have imparted to us. And um, we wish you the best in all of your journeys. In life. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And nice to meet you. Thank you for everything. I feel like I'm someone new. <laughs> I'm going to tell my parents and... Um, I will practice it myself, but I really want to do it as a family, and thank you for that. Yeah, thanks, Bianca. It was great to meet you and hear some of your um, thoughts about it. Great to meet you, too. Now, on to our Sentinel Encounters segment today. Today we have an open Q&A with Ms. Lazaro and she's going to be answering the questions we received on the survey from our Sentinels. All right, so we took a survey um, through our, uh, we basically conducted a survey, a small survey for our students. Um, and this was done through our Instagram profiles, like we posted it in our bios and um, everyone took the survey from there. So we have roughly around 40 responses, and this was in regards with the pandemic affecting a student's mental health. And um, this was, the responses were actually pretty, like they were pretty depressing, not gonna lie. 
seeing how so many of us are struggling to really like you know get ourselves out there and just you know struggling to feel motivated all the time because you know we're still having to do school we're still having to do everything it's just that our life is a lot more restricted now and but still we're like we're having to continue with what we have so um some of the questions that we personally got a lot were how do you find motivation on days where you don't feel like doing anything? This was um, this question was rephrased and asked a lot of the times. So um, if you could answer that for us. So this is just me answering per personally, right? How do I find motivation? Um, honestly, it's a daily struggle. I think for me, being in this field, everyone's like, oh, you should always be motivated. You should have all the skills, but I'm just as human as everyone else. And I, I try, to take everything day by day because everything changes day by day right life is never really guaranteed the same way that it was the day before and so if i don't do something one day i'll try to tell myself okay well you did i'll have a list usually i always start my day off with a, a small routine and when i finish that small routine i'm like okay i got through the first part of my day and then i'll make a list i'm a very big list and organization person so I try to tackle maybe one to two things off my list to feel accomplished. I think if we burn, if I burn myself out, I'm very less likely to do anything on the list, right? And so I have to do like a breakdown. So I think seeing visually, I have to see that because then my, my brain runs crazy. My brain runs really wild. So I think just having a list and if I can get one thing done, I'm like, okay, today was a good day, right? Because I didn't just sit on my couch and not do anything. So I think that's how I stay motivated. And getting outside, honestly, being outside in the sun helps so much. Just because you're out there and it's, you know, being mindful in the moment. And not being directed by all the tasks that we have to do. Um, sadly, this was another one that was really popular and like Aisha said, rephrased in different words, but same question. What advice do you have for some people who struggle with body image issues? Wow, that is very, very hard. Um, you know, being a teenager once, I always had that in the back of my head that I had, like, what did I had to be perfect, but I never knew what perfect was, right? And I think it's still something as an adult that I struggle with, right? And I just have to just be more loving with myself. And I know that's not really an answer, but I think the more that we try to have self-love, the more accepting that we're gonna be. And I think that if we stop comparing ourselves to everyone and start lifting each other up, right? I think that's where we start to see people being more accepting of themselves. But I think you know, and I know it's like a catch 22 where social media and, and, you know, advertisements, TV plays such a big role. And I think, you know, just like for like a small little suggestion, if you're on Instagram, you know, follow people that are motivating and uplifting, you know, take off comments from quote unquote haters and people who are very, very negative. Because I think that plays with people's minds, especially since we're home all day. And you know, the first thing that we typically do now is 
be on the TV, be on our phones. And I think once we eliminate that slowly and just focus on positive things, I think we'll start to see more of a change in ourselves. Like I really had to unfollow a lot of people just on social media alone because there was just so much like hate talk. And I think once we get rid of that, right, once we just start listening to people who are who are actually friends with, you know, our family members and going to them, I think we can start to see that we can love ourselves. And once we start accepting it, you know, I think we have to build each other more than listen to all the negative and the hate. That is so true. As someone who personally struggles with body image issues as well, I do feel like social media kind of really reinforces the fact that you have to be this one size and you have to be... It's to look a certain way to be considered beautiful because like whenever I'm on my explore feed on Instagram or say on Facebook or whatever, um, you know, you see most of the girls are this one size and they, they have this, right. <laughs> you know, they dress this certain way. They like they do their makeup this certain way and you like you feel this immense pressure to just look like them because that is what is considered attractive, unfortunately, to most people. So yeah, I do feel like social media kind of really does reinforce that. And it's hard because it's so addicting. Like no matter how hard we try and like un- maybe uninstall the social media apps from our phones or deactivate our accounts, we kind of like most of us, at least I know that I have like gone back to it. I've circled back to installing yeah. it again and reactivating my account because it's just so hard from, uh, it's so hard to be away from it, right? So It is. I think it's a vicious cycle. And I think that we have to understand that no two people are alike, right? Not even twins, right? There are just such significant differences with the way our body and the science behind it. So even if we're trying to lose weight or look like someone, it's physically impossible to look like that person because just genetically, we're just made so different. And I think it's such a beautiful thing, right? And I, I think we just have to, promote more positivity and love and tell people it's okay because sometimes it is that vicious cycle where we're never going to be happy with ourselves right say we get down to like our goal weight then it's like okay i have that down now what else can i change what else can i do differently so i feel like if we just learn to accept and just be healthy be healthy in our mind healthy physically then we start to be okay with ourselves and even like i said i'm I'm a full grown adult, take care of myself. And it's, that's still something that I struggle with. And I always have to tell myself, you're cool. You're cool. You're cool. Don't worry about it. You know, especially during the pandemic, I think it's surfaced a lot more these last few weeks because I haven't been as active because I've been stuck at home. Gyms aren't open. Um, Yeah. I feel like, you know, this (laughs) pandemic, like a lot of the social media influencers kind of, you know, advocating for this healthy, be healthy during this pandemic, do your exercise, kind of like, you know, it's just like people are struggling here to just take care of themselves and like being active on top of that. It's not like a possible, it's not possible for everyone, you know? Right. It's not, it's just like, it's, it's really mentally taxing in my opinion. Um, so another question that we got rephrased in many ways uh, is that what are some good habits you recommend to students who struggle with anxiety and depression, especially during COVID or distance learning? Okay, so I think 
being someone who is actually diagnosed with anxiety as well, and this just happened in the last two years where it just manifested because there were so many things going on in my life and, and I had to learn how to cope. So my biggest thing is whenever something stressful starts to arise is just learning some techniques like there's a grounding technique, right? So it's like five things that you see for, it's called the five, four, three, two, one grounding exercise. So five things that you see, four things that you can touch, three things that you can hear. So that way you bring your mind back to the present and it reshifts your focus to, you know, breathing. It re those breathing exercises that we talked about at the very beginning are so key because when our minds aflutter, the breathing just helps us calm ourselves. So that's one big thing that I feel like really does help. Um, another one is challenging our thoughts, right? Sometimes anxiety manifests when something's out of our control or something that we fear might happen. So whenever that starts to arise, I try to challenge those, those thoughts. Like, is that thought real? Is that something we can control? And, you know, once I realize that I can't control these things, then I, I find ways to control myself. Like, okay, well, like say I'm sitting in traffic and I know I'm going to be late for work and I have an 8 a.m. meeting. I'm like, oh my God, my body starts to get really hot because I'm just so stressed out. I get really anxious and sometimes I can get angry and I have to tell myself, okay, if I'm only 10 minutes late, it's going to be okay. I don't want to get into an accident. I don't want to yell at people. And I have to bring myself back to that grounding position, right? I have to say, no one's, no one's going to die if I'm 10 minutes late. I have to be safe. I have to take care of myself. So I think if we start challenging those irrational thoughts, then it kind of brings us back to us, to our center. So things like that, I would say breathing, counting backwards, the grounding exercise, challenging our thoughts. Yeah, I definitely feel like grounding ourselves and, you know, like getting rid of those irrational thoughts is very important because like me personally, I, I have a lot of anxiety regarding my grades. Like whenever like I, I don't score, um, you know, satisfactorily in my, in my own like standards, I get like, okay, no, I'm not going to get into a good university with these grades. Nothing's going to happen. I'm probably going to work. I'm probably going to work at a 7-Eleven, which is, which is like not bad, of course, but like, you know, it's not my standard. So like these irrational thoughts, like, you know, they kind of, they're really, like, they really engulf you if you right. don't stop them from like engulfing you. Like if you let them flow, they flow and there's no going back, right? Yes. So, yeah. I, I definitely feel like grounding ourselves is important. Thank you for sharing that, Miss Lazaro. Oh, of course. Um, so another question that we got asked a lot is that, what are some examples of good coping mechanisms and bad coping mechanisms? And how can we identify that we're coping in a bad way and like switch ourselves to these, you know, good coping mechanisms that can help us in the future and in the present to like ground ourselves, like you said? Oh man. Okay. So I think, you know, some of the, what we talked about already, like the positive coping strategies are, you know, the deep breathing and, you know, counting backwards or, you know, the grounding exercise. And, you know, how do we know if it really works? I think it's, 
really being self-aware. I think we have to know that we're experiencing either anxiety attack or feeling sad, anything, right? We have to know that we have that, um, that problem. So I think it's a very, how, how do I explain this? Almost like a high functioning kind of self-awareness, right? Like if someone tells you, hey, I, it seemed like you were anxious or nervous this week. But if you're not in agreement with that, you can't really implement any coping strategy because you don't think that there's a problem. So I think it starts off with that. And then it's really being aware of when does it happen, right? Like you said, I, I get very anxious about my grades. So that's really, really such a positive thing to be able to identify what causes me stress. Because sometimes there are a lot of students that I work with that doesn't know where it stems from. So first we have to start then if we don't know what the cause is well how do i how do we identify with our body right how do we how do we know we're getting anxious is it you know um stimming with our legs like are we when we're nervous do we tap our leg a million times or are we tapping our hands or moving or whatnot right do we start stuttering you know more physical aspects are are we clenching our fists is our body tightening are is our teeth chattering things like that just being very hyper aware. And so obviously, you know, a coping strategy is working if you're calming down, it's not increasing, it's not being out of control, right. But then again, that's like our perspective, right. So I don't really know how I think if it's a bad coping strategy, obviously, it's if you're self hurting, self injurious behaviors, you know, having these thoughts perseverate and not being able to perform um, or if it's interfering with your daily functioning, right? Where now you can't get out of bed or you can't leave. I would say that would be pretty bad, right? And you see a change of your behaviors. When I do interviews with students or parents or say teachers, there's always like a shift in mood, right? The teachers will express to me, you know, they're not themselves is something's really changed in the last couple weeks. So I think that if it is a negative coping strategy or they're not coping with it at all, it will really show and people will start to see it, right? Especially if it's a, if it's a complete 180. So, and I think, you know, tracking things. I, I'm a big believer in either using your phone or journaling and whenever these things come up like really writing them down so that way you see the trend and you can do that in a multitude of ways like i have an app tracker where i literally every night i track my emotions like my feelings and so i will see when i go back you know and it's a very interesting thing for me to do when i look back at all my emotions and sometimes it's like a roller coaster right so i think just doing those type of things and having my coping strategies in the back of my head and knowing what works for you, right? Because I can throw out a bunch, but it doesn't mean that it's always gonna work from myself to another person. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of students, well, you know, a lot of people I talk to that I see that do struggle with um, anxiety too, you know, the thoughts of their grades and then making their parents proud and keep making themselves proud. So I think this can also be helpful like to anybody, even people that aren't struggling, you know, 
it's always good to um, try the tips and the breathing exercises, you know. But another question that I thought was interesting um, was how can um, – let me find it. Okay. How can um, people start opening to others um, after, like, having trust issues or having lost a big bond or trust with someone that they really cared for? You mean, like, how do they open up to someone else or back yeah. to that person? Just, like, opening up to someone so not – and not bottling up their feelings, you know? Because I feel like um, when you go through something, like, let's say, with a family member or friend or close friend – and they betray you or they start talking about you, you just like start to lose trust. So you're like, oh, I don't want to share certain things or I um, don't want to say certain things. So you start bottling up. How can we start opening ourselves up again? You know, I think it's a slow process, right? Depending on how significant that relationship was. So I, I that's actually very, very common with a lot of the students that I work with because either they'll get referred to me or they find out, oh, look, there's a school psych on campus. Let me go talk to them. Make it, you know, let me see when she's available. And so one of the big things is when I start asking, the first thing, whenever a student comes to my office, I say, everything is confidential. So I, you know, I want to build that trust. And the only time I ever break confidentiality is if you want to hurt yourself, you plan on hurting someone else, or you know of someone wanting to do those things. Because first and foremost, safety is very, very important, right? So, but everything else and in between stays confidential. And I never press a student. You know, if I tell them, you are allowed to say whatever you want in this space, and it stays between us. Whenever you tell me to stop, you know, asking questions or you want to change topics, they kind of guide the conversation. And I never press anyone. I tell them I'm not there to judge, but I'm there to either listen, provide solutions, or um, help mediate. So I always ask students, like, what, what are your goals for coming to me today? So if they tell me they just want someone to talk to, that's what I'm there for. So I think it slowly starts to build the trust again, right? That I'm not there to judge them. You know, I'm never surprised by anything anymore. And I think once they learn like, and that I'm pretty cool, <laughs> that they, they start to come back again. And so I'm very easygoing. That's my personality, you know? And I tell people, it's whatever you're comfortable with. So sometimes it it takes maybe just that one session and then all of a sudden the next time a student comes back it's like I know their entire life story sometimes it takes almost a year until a student trusts me and it's whatever pace they're at you can never rush building a relationship right you can never build that because once it's taken away that's the hardest part to get back so it's at whatever pace that the student comes in to yeah um so a lot of my personal relatives or like acquaintances who go to therapy, they do talk about this pacing and this mm -hmm. thing, being in sync with their counselor or whoever is providing them therapy. And right. I think it's really important, right? So um, 
Another question that I wanted to personally address um, was that, uh, so someone said that they believe that they might have OCD or ADHD, but they don't want to self-diagnose. However, they don't also have the time or the money to visit a doctor. So what should a person in this circumstance do? Well, the first thing that I would ask um, the student is whether they're 18 or not, because if they are younger than 18, then I do have to cons have consent with the parents to speak with them, Unfor not unfortunately, but just, you know, if, if they're wanting to get support for that, I always want to loop in parents, right? Because they're a big resource for that individual or whoever is their guardian, right? Or caretaker. But if they are 18, then it's really helping them find someone through their insurance. If they don't have insurance, then it's like, okay, well, let's get you properly signed up for either Medi-Cal or whatever it is to get you that support. There's a lot of resources that we have that we can get free diagnoses and we would link you up with an outside resource and we can get that all started. But of course, again, like I said, if they're 18 and young, if they're younger than 18, then it's going through the parents because they would have to take care of that portion. But we always link families. That's one of, um, we have community resources, like a community liaison that we work with and help families link up. And sometimes students are scared to tell their parents, right? Like, hey, I think I may have attention difficulties or anxiety or this or that. And it's really me being that professional to help explain what are the characteristics and it's not something to be afraid of and we don't need to advertise it sometimes it, this is a very private thing and just you know reassuring families that it's for your child to be successful right and getting the resources yeah i feel like a lot of the parents sort of you know it's because like their generation like you said um they're not op they were not open to mental health and like these discussions weren't happening back then most of the time so you know, it's hard for parents to sort of accept this that this is a thing and that their children need help and yeah i feel like you know having more open discussions with parents is really going to help us you know further destigmatize this uh, this concept of mental health Right. And sometimes you're right. It's just educating people, right? Because sometimes people are very fearful because they don't know. They haven't really been educated. And so once you start giving them more information that it's not a negative thing, it's, you know, taking care of mental health. I want people to look at it as if you're going for a physical checkup. Not only do we have to do it physically, but we have to do it mentally, checking in with ourselves. So it should hopefully one day be part of a physical examination. It really should be. Um, um, sorry, this um, a student said this. She said, she or he said, how can I stop doubting myself so much? Even when I prove myself wrong by achieving excellent grades, I still don't want to believe it. At the end of the day, I always end up telling myself I'm incapable of being successful and that the only reason I did well on a particular task is because of the situation I was put in. Well, I think, you know, I don't know who this student is, but maybe they're struggling, you know, with maybe self-esteem and maybe what they're looking for, maybe just someone to acknowledge other than themselves, right? Because, you know, as a young adult, 
just like you ladies here, growing up, you want to be validated. And if no one is validating for you or the expectations are just so high that even if you, you know, get that high grade in a test, you're on to the next thing, right? You're like, oh man, did I really do well? So I think it's just to really relish and be in the moment, right? And it's working on that self-esteem and that self-love that you are capable of it, right? And I think that if you have someone to share those successes with, the more believable it is. So maybe that's what that student may be looking for. It's really hard to like give like a short answer of how to, you know, help a student with self-doubt if I don't know a little bit more of the background history. But usually, you know, when I want to feel validated, it's because maybe I haven't always been validated, you know, and I was just relying on myself. So if I seem to have more negative experiences, that's where my brain kind of goes, right? Just because it outweighs the positive. So as soon as you start building yourself up and having more positive experiences, the goal is that you'll start to see yourself in a more positive light, hopefully. That's definitely true. I agree with the student. This is like something I personally feel um, a lot of the times. I feel like it's situational that I got a good grade and there are always people out there who are better than me and they like I don't I'm not deserving of a particular grade because I didn't work hard enough or you know something like that. Um, also one of the reasons why this survey was kept anonymous is because it will actually allow people to um, you know, feel safe that, you know, their information wasn't being, um, it wasn't being like revealed and they'll feel safe talking about it because like, it's still like an online survey. So, you know, like we have access to it and like not, um, not a lot of people will be open to random strangers on the internet, you know, just right. So I, I, I'm sorry about that, but. No, 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 it's okay. It's just, I, I just don't want to give a f not false information, but just information when it's just so different case by case, right? Yeah, but I would just true. hope that they have, they would hear more that you got, you know, everyone is worthy of being successful and, and accepting of love. And sometimes it's because maybe, you know, the expectation is just to always get, 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 that we forget to celebrate the successes because we're on to the next thing, you know? And I, I feel like that's very true of immigrant parents, just because that's my background, right? And so the expectation was always to just be good at everything. Like you have to be successful. You don't have another choice. This is the reason why we came to this country. You know, I was born here, but my parents obviously struggled when they came here and they tried to place me in the best schools. So, you know, getting a C was unacceptable. And so for me, even a B, and sometimes I would cry in elementary school. Imagine elementary school for getting a B because my parents didn't think that was good enough. But I think now when I'm talking to students, I'm like, a B is great. But then I forget that, you know, the expect, we forget to celebrate those accomplishments, right? Because maybe that was the best that I could do then. Uh, you know what, I'm gonna keep working harder the next time, but I have to remember to celebrate those small successes. Definitely, especially with the point that you uh, pointed out about um, immigrant parents and immigrant culture, it's definitely ingrained, I would say, to like, you know, prove yourself that no, I'm, I'm, I'm like, my parents did so much for me coming here struggling, you, 
not only their expectations, it's this burden on the individual as well. Like you right. realize that your parents did so much for you and it's like almost like a duty that you have to like, you know, uh, be the very best, even if not for yourself, for your parents. Right. And that's such, that's so much pressure. Right. And, and trust me, I know, I know that feeling because I went to school and my parents expected me to become a medical doctor. And can you imagine the disappointment when I first told them, so I want to become a psychologist. And they're like, Oh, what, what do you mean a psychologist? And I'm like, um, you know, I'm going to study people's behaviors. And they're like, you don't want to be in the medical field. You don't want to be a lawyer or an engineer. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. And it wasn't because I wasn't capable. It's, you know, I had to be happy for myself. So eventually I became, I got my doctorate, but it, you know, they're proud now because they're like, oh, you could have been a medical doctor. And I just laugh now. It's like a running joke in our family. I'm like, well, I'm one kind of doctor, you know, I just can't physically save your life, but it's okay. Mentally I can. So, but it's just so much pressure because there's that expectation. It's like our job, right? Our job is to get good grades and to go on to something that will make the family proud. That's our job. Yeah, definitely. Circling back to what you said about um, your family, not like at first, not like not acknowledging the fact that you want to be like a mental health professional. Um, yeah, this is something I also heard, like I, I hear a lot about this, um, that a lot of families like don't acknowledge mental health professional, mental health professions as much as they do like, you know, like regular conventional medical professions, like, you know, maybe a doctor, a nurse. Um, so this is just a question I'm curious about, like, how do you think we could tackle that and, you know, integrate these professions into the medical field? Like they're as equally important, you know, like we're, you, you guys are treating our brains and like our thoughts. And then, you know, this is preventing so much, you know, like there's like suicide or like depression. These are all very um, important issues that must be tackled in our society, right? So. I think right now, everyone is talking about it. I think the pandemic has literally exposed everyone's eyes to mental health. There is such a focus on it right now because we are in a standstill. We're stuck at home, right? And everyone is talking about our mental health, our emotional well-being, and how are we dealing with it? And so I really, you know, with this pandemic, depression, mental health is now, we're almost in a year with it, right? And even like seasonal depression is coming up. The rates up usually during the holidays is when suicide rates increase, right? And with everything going on, I think that mental health professionals, medical professionals are all seeing it because um, I have a lot of family who are medical doctors. And even them, they're saying in the ERs, emergency departments, one of the highest rates they're being brought in right now are not only because of their COVID patients, but also suicidal ideations. And so it is very, very real. And now they're very, they're seeing it. So not only are beds being taken by, you know, COVID patients and other related um, health issues, but also of suicidal ideations. So I think that 
it's going to open a lot of people's eyes. I, I would be very curious to see what the numbers are going to be because a teacher just recently asked me this as well from Magnolia, you know, where can I find the statistics of teen suicide during the pandemic? And I've been trying to do a lot of research just over the weekend trying to find that number. And I don't know if there's accurate numbers out there, but I would be very, very interested to just see what the spike is. Yeah, definitely. I feel like the pandemic really just adds to people's anxieties and depression. Mm -hmm. It's like we're not being able to be ourselves, like we're not being able right. to go out, take that breather that we need, like, you know, being out in the nature, being out in the open. Right. That's taking a lot on, like, that's taking a toll on our mental health is what I would like to believe. And um, I think just survival has also challenged a lot of families, right? Like financial situations. There's a lot of disparity right now of how are we gonna pay the bills? Because, you know, in psychology, we learn about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? At the very bottom, we talk about, you know, to feel safe, you need food and shelter. And right now, does everyone have that? I think that's, before we move on to emotional well-being, we have to make sure that our basic needs are met. And I think that obviously the pandemic has had a lot of layoffs, a lot of small businesses closing, and that has you know, affected a lot of our families. And so if we can't have those things, of course everyone's gonna be in crisis. And that's why there's such an influx right now of mental health needs. Definitely, I agree. Um... So with that, um, I won't be keeping you any longer. This ran a really long time, but it was really interesting and really refreshing to hear you and your opinions on, on mental health and um, how you go about your profession. This is like my first time interviewing someone um, from your field. So I do believe that this was like, this was my privilege. I felt, I feel Thank so, and I feel so enlightened today. Um, Really uh, not just you it makes two of us i know oh, thank I, you like, ladies i was listening about all these <laughs> and i'm like oh my <laughs> you know this yeah. is very cool i've never been on a podcast but you ladies have inspired me because me and another school psych from our district actually want to start a podcast and talk about mental health from a female perspective you know and being a minority and so i'm gonna i'm so excited to tell her about this and how Hopefully this will kickstart our own journey of enlightening and promoting mental health. So thank you. It, it was honestly a very, very cool experience. For our reflection segment today, we're going to talk about the survey results we got during the production period. So as we mentioned during our interview with Ms. Lazaro, we conducted a survey and reached out to our audience to ask them about their mental health. Most of our responders were ages under 18 and students of the AUHSD. The survey was mainly carried out as a part of the research we did for our podcast. And it was also a way for us to gather questions slash concerns regarding mental health and mental health problems from our audience, which we could relate to Ms. Lazaro. Okay, now, when you told me to look at the responses from the survey, I remember I was so sad and, like, depressed because all of the answers, there was not really a, a positive one, you know? Um, 
Yeah, um, it was the same for me. Like, it was like, I was like looking at the responses as they came in and I was like hoping for one to be, you know, like you want at least one to be a little positive and all of them were just so depressing. And so they were like so sad. Like I, I, I didn't have words to describe them, you know, like. Yeah, it really made like your stomach turn. Yeah, it did. And like, when I was looking at the scale that was given, like the responders were asked to like, you know, rate their mental health on a scale of one to five, one being the worst, five being the best. None of them put a five in, none of them. And, exactly. and like, it was only like, most of them were twos. Most of them were twos or maybe threes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like really, really, it was really depressing. Like, Mm-hmm. And, and I remember life. thinking, I was like, all of this, you know, all these students, I guess, or people, I think we can blame it because in the survey, there was a, a, res- a question that asked, like, what was the reason why you um, rated your mental health that number? And most of them were because of school and grades or um, self-image or something like that. Sorry, my thing isn't loading. But yeah, it was um, it was sad. And I think it's also because of online. It's so messy and unorganized, I guess we can say. Yeah, it's just I feel like, like it's pressure too. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of pressure. And sometimes like, you know, you have family problems like going on in the background. Oh yeah, like siblings. Yes, yeah, siblings parents like it's not like a lot of us don't have our own rooms and it gets so hard for us to like concentrate in classes or take tests during class time because you know like we don't have that perfect test environment you know the quiet or the ambience of a test while you're like I don't blame the teachers because it's hard on them too you know like yeah teach online they're not used to that stuff so it's just it's not the best system. A lot of kids are thriving online, but we can't really ignore the majority that aren't, you know, like a lot of mm-hmm. them are stressing, they're struggling. I know. I I was talking to um, a friend. She told me, she was like a 4.0, you know, all the time. And she told me she her grades are so low. She has like four Fs and like two Cs and a D or something. And I was so shocked because she she always beat me in everything. And and we were in band. I, I would always try to get the higher chair or a higher lever, level than her. And she she was always like a little a step higher. So I thought, you know, she can help me. And then she told me her grades dropped. So I was really shocked. You know, it really shows that because of quarantine of all this online, everything is just our mental health is not the best. And then there's like, like you said, the pandemic, Um, we've been stuck inside for ages now. And then the freedom that the little bit of freedom that we have with our lives, you know, just to like go take a break, you know, go somewhere and like have a little bit of fun. We can't even do that now without like, without, you know, facing the repercussions. So it's always just, it's just always work and boredom at home right now. And we don't, 
really just we we don't have an escape you know what i mean mm-hmm. there was always like well in school when we were back in school there was little breaks you know you would see your friends in lunch and it's something as small as that but it was something now we're just home you either talk to or you know you used to see it kind of like me it motivates me to be nicer you know And I'm not saying I'm mean, but, you know, I'm not going to just randomly compliment people. And I just, I noticed that if you do, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but um, it it really does make your, your day better. It's something really simple, really small, but it can really make your day better. Yeah, especially, and like, that just like makes me want to circle back to social media and like these hilarious preposterous like beauty beauty like how do I put it like the beauty standards that people have set for us yes um this just like um one of the major reasons why people were upset or like not happy with themselves was because of you know body image issues uh, like that we saw in our survey a lot of them were like you know Mm -hmm. just not happy about the way they looked and it was you know, I felt that personally because it's the same for me. So it's like, you know, just like when you're on social media, you know, just like even like a small compliment can do you good. Like even if you're down, like someone who genuinely says that, you know, you look good. Mm-hmm. And then like not commenting on maybe like the way you look, but just that you look good regardless. Mm-hmm. Know, of, it just regardless. It changes your mood. Yeah, like, regardless of what you're wearing or, like, you know, you can't mm-hmm. expect everyone to be, you know, that, like, perfect body, especially for women, I think. Like, even for men, actually, like, you can't expect men to have, like, you know, those six-packs, like, six-pack <laughs> abs, yeah, muscles, be six feet tall or whatever. And then for women to have the tiny, tiny, tiny waist or, like, you know. Yes. And I'm yeah. glad there's there's kind of being a change right now, but it still it still hurts you know because there's still it's still people that and they're like oh you know bigger people are not beautiful or bigger people are ugly you know and and it when you see it you it does break you down even though you know you might not be them it really it does hurt though you know yeah because like how do I put it it's like when you're on like social media especially like something like instagram or tiktok like, you're constantly seeing these, like, beautiful girls, like, quote-unquote beautiful, I mean, you know, like, they're the most represented in on those platforms, right? Like, yes. how often would you say that you see a plus-size woman who's, like, you know, owning it, like, in, a, like, in like, opposition to a woman who's, like, you know, fits the yeah. current beauty standards of society, you know, like, maybe out of, like, 10... 10 of those beautiful quote-unquote beautiful women you see you see like two or maybe just one like you know person who's different from the rest of the people who fit that like particular beauty standard yeah and I feel like that's why there's also like the responses from the survey show that you know it's mostly because of social media because of the standards but um in a way, I guess I want to talk to people. I, I want to become a pediatrician in the future, but it it's like there's all these people that are struggling. You know, I want to learn about mental health now. It's, it's like I want to help, but I don't know how, you know. 
So. Yeah, it's, it's the same for me. Um, this like production period for this particular episode was like, it took a toll on me as well because, you know, I was constantly taking like, you know, keeping a track of these responses and like, you know, looking at them, reading through them and then gathering them for Miss Lazaro and everything. So it was hard on me, like just looking at them, it, it makes you upset. And a lot of these you personally can resonate with, right? Like a lot of these you can relate to. So it's like, it just like constantly takes me back to dark places or took me back to dark places when I was looking through them. And, you know, I was thinking like, is there anything at all that like me in my position can do? And, you know, the sad reality is not really like, I'm just a student, what can I do? So, but I hope that through this episode, um, we didn't do a lot, but we did have Ms. Lozaro addressing a lot of these concerns. I hope that however small this was, I hope it helps people who listen to it. And I hope that people find like certain answers to their questions and um, just, you know, just to place just an episode to come back to if they're feeling down and just, you know, some good advice because I, I genuinely enjoyed our conversation with Ms. Lozaro. Yeah, you know, and... I feel like it, we all have to have, um, no, we all have to like remind ourselves we we are enough, we matter and we're beautiful. Everybody, you know, not just us girls and women, just men too, you know. It's not just us that suffer with our body image. It's also men too. Yeah, and I know that being stuck in a pandemic is hard. There are so many people who have like who are facing problems that I probably never even dreamt of, you know. So it's just like we have to stay, we have to stay grounded, and like we have to really have to practice being good to ourselves and like being um, nice to ourselves because at the end of the day, we're the only people we have. Like no matter how much we rely on friends and family, in my opinion, at least, like. At the end of the day, you are your best friend. Like, if you're not taking care of yourself, no one else can do that for you. Yes, I remember I would always think about that. And my teachers would be like, how are you so happy? And, and I'll be like, you know, if I don't make myself happy, if I don't, um, you know, do things that make myself feel good and happy, who's going to do it? You know, if it's not me, then who? <laughs> so... I feel like I started to notice that and I didn't want to wait on someone to bring me happiness. I, I should be enough to bring myself my, my own happiness. Yeah, I do agree with that. But, you know, it's hard for people to kind of start recognizing this and like start acting on this. I just hope that people can start doing that and people have the courage to do that because it requires a lot of courage, you know escaping or like you know breaking away from these like you know these expectations that are set upon you and you know just like you know living your best life I think that's important yeah um but I do hope that whoever's like listening to this or you know the people that are that I hope they know that they matter they're enough and, you know, although we don't even know them, you know, we care for them. We love them. They're, they're loved. 
and they're beautiful. And it is hard. It is hard getting out of your own bubble because right now we're also in a pandemic and you know, there's also no motivation sometimes. Sometimes you don't wanna get up and it's hard, it's a struggle. But I hope we're all able to find the strength that we need to get up and get ourselves ready for the day. And also, like, to end this off, I would like to say that, you know, mental, when you're struggling with your mental health, don't keep it to yourself. Um, I know that for a lot of us, it's not possible to seek out and, you know, get professional help. But we have to know that professional help is there. And like, they're willing to help us get through this, right? So for especially for students of the AHSD, I would like to say that when you're feeling at, when you're feeling um, down and you're stressed, try and talk to your counselors or your school psychologists. There are people there waiting for you to like, you know, you know, just tell them their, your problems and so that they can like, you know, figure out a way together with you for you. So just, you know, you have to seek it out. You have to seek help out. And for those who don't have access to, um, professional help, I would say that find a trusted person to like, talk about these things that are bothering you or that, that, you know, make you sad. Um, it can be a friend, it can be someone from your family. Um, but definitely, I think talking helps rather than bottling it up inside you. So to end this off today, um, I want to say that Mental problems are very common in our lives, but we must remember that help is available. You, um, even if you feel like you're at your lowest right now and there's no way to like come back from that or there's no way to, you know, keep yourself off of your intrusive thoughts or, you know, become better mentally and physically, um, that's not true. If you get the help that is most suited for you, you can get better and you can recover completely. And um, I think this is remembering this is important when we're talking about mental health. So yeah, um, this was Bianca and Aisha um, on our parts, um, just signing off from today's podcast. Until next time. With you in your hearts. Bye, everyone. Bye.